Hello, everybody. This is Father Tom Provenzano coming to you with another episode of the Axe Podcast. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about the Netflix drama, the latest Netflix drama, not a movie, but a uh, the latest controversy from the boys and girls over at uh, everyone's favorite streaming service. And uh, also uh, remember uh, Jimi Hendrix on the 50th anniversary of his death. And before we get to those things, let us begin, as always, with a prayer. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Purify our hearts, O Lord, by the heavenly fire of the Holy Spirit, that we may serve you with a chaste body and please you with a pure heart. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Mary, help of Christians, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, we have one job here in life. We're really only here in life for one reason, and that is to get to heaven. I know that's it's uh, even in religious circles that's not a very popular thing to talk about these days, the salvation of our own souls. But that's really what we're here for. We're here to save our soul. And how do we save our soul? Well, we our soul is saved when we accept Jesus Christ, when we enter into communion with him through the, the sacraments, first with baptism, and with him and the community that he founded. And you know, when we enter into the, the Christian community, we receive a vocation. And so a mission, if you will, here in this world. And in a way, you could say that, yeah, the salvation of our souls is sort of dependent on us following that vocation to the best of our ability and to accept the grace that Christ has given us to do that to the best of our ability. For a, uh, on a very basic level, you know, a married person, uh, his road to sanctity, his road to being a saint, or her road to being a saint, is very much caught up in their life as a married person. Uh, if a person uh, remains single, then their salvation is wrapped up in how do they live that single life. If you're a priest or a, a religious, a, a religious sister or a nun or a religious brother or a monk, then your salvation is wrapped up in, in how, do you, how do you live out that religious life? How do you live out that religious commitment? How do you live out... Uh, your priesthood. And, you know, for young people growing up, your your job right now is to become educated, to grow in the faith, and to slowly discover what it is that, that God is calling you to. And again, to the best of your ability, follow it and live it. Okay? That's what we're here for. We're here to get to heaven, we're here to be saints. And we do that by accepting the gospel, hearing the gospel, receiving the sacraments, first with baptism, that regenerates us, and then living that baptismal call, living that vocation that we receive to the best of our ability. Now, what does this all have to do with Netflix? <laughs> you might be asking. 
what this has to do with Netflix and the latest controversy. I'm not going to get too bogged down in the specifics of the controversy because I don't have a Netflix account anymore. I used to. I got rid of it. In fact, I will admit I had it. I had a, an, a, I had an active account on two separate occasions, and both times uh, ended up canceling the account, closing the account, not uh, really out of any uh, moral compunction, not because I was involved in any boycott, but because I found I wasn't using it. And I felt it was a waste of money and a waste of my community's money for me to be, you know, have this thing dinging on my credit card every month and it not really being used or being even shared by, you know, the, the community itself. So... I, I speak as someone who has not seen the movie in question. Uh, there are some objective things that anybody, whether you've seen the movie or not, can know about it. Uh, there are uh, clips of it kind of circulating around the internet, and I saw at least one clip, uh, which is probably the, the more infamous <laughs> uh, clip, which depicts young girls, you know, pre, you know, prepubescent girls dancing in a, uh, a rather provocative and hyper you know, hypersexualized way. And then the poster, the famous poster. And, you know, the, the, you know the, there's, a, there's an idea that, you know, any subject matter can be handled in film. And, you know, I've read some very actually nuanced and I, I think sensitive critiques of the film that sort of, on the one hand, defend the filmmaker while also criticizing her, <laughs> but especially criti criticizing Netflix for the way they marketed this film, uh, because the film was not meant to glorify the, object the objectification of girls, and in fact, the, you know, arguably the intent of the director was to show how harmful it is. But you know, the problem with film is that uh, it automatically romanticizes whatever it is that it captures and what it presents. You know, it's been said it's very hard to make a, a good anti-war movie uh, because, again, film automatically makes every, everyone look heroic and, and gallant and, and romantic. And so it, it is, I think, with, with this type of subject matter. The other, the other issue at, at hand is that the actresses themselves are actually 11 years old. So it's not like these are older girls portraying younger girls. Uh, these are actually, you know, prepubescent girls being made to act in this way. And we could say, well, it's just a movie. But these are real-life girls being asked to do things that are really inappropriate for their age, no matter what the intention of the filmmaker was. So, yeah, it's problematic. And I'm not going to go any further because, again, I have not seen the film in its entirety, I've only seen clips, uh, again, seen the poster, read, read some commentaries, uh, uh, some which just downright condemned it, others that, again, gave a, a, a more nuanced uh, opinion of it, while at the same time basically saying, yeah, this was no good, this was not a good, this was not a good idea, uh, but especially the criticizing Netflix for the way that they promoted it, because rather than promoting it sort of as a dark comedy and a, a, a kind of a social commentary, uh, it kind of promoted it as kind of a lighthearted uh, coming-of-age story, which is evidently not what, what this thing is. Anyway, 
Again, what does this have to do with saving your soul? What it has to do with is we have choices to make. Like I said, our salvation depends on our following the will of God in our life. He gives us a mission and a vocation, and it's really for us to follow it to the best of our ability. We, I am thankful that the Lord is kind and merciful, <laughs> overlooking our faults, <laughs> and you know, forgiving to the the third and fourth generation. But at the at the same time, it, it, we still have a responsibility to follow the will of the Lord the best that we can, and we need to eliminate from our lives those things which get in the way of us following the Lord fully, and following the Lord in in a way that is in line with the vocation that he's given us. Now, there is nothing wrong with entertainment. There's nothing wrong with movies. If you followed the, my blog at all, up till now, I do movie reviews. I go to movies. I actually love, I'm a bit of a cinephile, you might say. Cinephile, one who loves movies. Um, and so, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all down for that that stuff. It's not, you know, and, and I think that when you look at entertainment, you could, you could, there are three kind of buckets you could throw it into. You could throw it into, first off, buckets of things that are positively good, that certainly promote good values and are uplifting and are edifying to the soul. Uh, maybe things that are a bit thought-provoking. I mean, it's not necessarily that they're happy movies or that they have happy endings, but things that kind of provoke thought and kind of you know lead your, your mind and your soul in a good direction. There's a bucket in the middle that I think is a pretty big bucket of, of things that are kind of neutral. They're neither bad nor good. They're just simple entertainments. They're a diversion. Nothing wrong with that in its right place and in the right proportion. Okay, uh, you know, once in a while, watching a you know a dumb action movie isn't such a you know a horrible thing. Or watching a goofy comedy. Those are good things, especially if you're doing it together as a group. And then there's the other bucket of things that just are poison for the soul. Things that really, uh, you know, they're not simply depicting evil things, but they're glorifying evil things. And, and I hate to say, yeah, sometimes that's not the intention of the filmmaker, but sometimes it is. All right, They are really trying to promote values that are anti-gospel and anti-life. And I mean life in the, in the broad sense of, of, of what I mean from that. And those things need to be eliminated from our lives. And so we need to make a decision because some things help us on our road to salvation. Some things are kind of neutral, you know. And then there are things that are just downright bad and hinder. And when you look at Netflix, and when I had a, when I had a Netflix account, you know, uh, I was paying for everything. Because everything is there on that platform. There are things that are good. There are things that are actually kind of uplifting, things that are thought-provoking in the right way. Okay. Then there are yeah, plenty of things that are just kind of mindless entertainment that, okay, once in a while, nothing again, nothing wrong with that. You know, kill a Saturday night as a family with the popcorn and watching things blow up, nothing wrong with that. But then, you know, things on there that are were just, yeah, bad, sketchy. And the thing is, you're paying for all of it. You can you can say that, well, I've got parental blocks that keep my children from, uh, you know, accessing 
the things that I think are questionable. Uh, you know, I have filters in my house on my on my internet that keeps in general uh, things out that I don't want coming in. That's good and that's fine. But in the in again in the case of 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 uh, Netflix and and other streaming services as well, you're paying for all of it. You're subsidizing all of it. You know, back back in the old days, back in the old days, back in the old days, if there was a controversial movie out in the theater, well, you you made a choice of am I going to go see this or not? Do I do I believe that uh, uh, this movie um, is going to help me or harm me? I mean, few people are thinking about that when they're going to a movie. To be honest, I, I understand that you're not thinking about the salvation of your soul necessarily. But you know, is this something that's going to offend my sensibilities, or is this something that I think is good? And you either went to the theater or you didn't, and you plopped your money down or you didn't. And I do definitely know people who would make decisions like that based on the actors or actresses that they approved of or didn't approve of. Uh, because, you know, as time has gone on, you know, actors are, are more and more feel free to express their political opinions publicly. And I, and I know people who will make a decision to see a movie or not see a movie based on the fact that a particular actor is in it or a particular director directed it whose opinions they don't agree with and they feel like they don't want to support uh, that actor or that or that director, you can make that choice. You know, back in the, back in the old days when it was you know network television uh, before cable. Again, you could turn off the TV or change the channel if there was a program that you didn't approve of, that you felt was not edifying, and uh, you know went against gospel values, and you were not participating directly nor indirectly in the dissemination of that material. In the age of streaming and streaming services, that's a little different. Now, I, I understand it's it's a little, it's complicated in the sense of even the, these streaming services have sort of other subscription services built in so that if, if you want, let's say, HBO or there are other, you know, uh, you know, we used to call them cable channels, but, you know, other there are other uh, uh, content suppliers that if you want to get their their movies and their materials, you would then pay an extra fee on top of whatever it is you're paying to that particular service. I, I understand there are these levels, but on, but even what you're receiving on your basic level of Netflix, again, there's questionable things on there. And whether you're watching it or not, whether you're blocking it or not, you're paying for it. And do you want to pay for it? Now, I am not telling anyone, I'm going on record here, I'm not telling anyone to drop their Netflix account. I am not telling anyone to take their, uh, their, their smartphone or their, their tablet and throw it in the garbage. I'm not telling anyone to do that. But you, you have to make a decision. Is the, are the good things that are on Netflix, and there are good things, there are worthwhile programming on, there is worthwhile programming on, on Netflix, is the good that's on Netflix counterbalanced by what's bad? Or is it tolerable? Okay, I don't really like a lot of the things, some of the things they have on here, but you know, I can kind of tolerate it being there because I get these other good things. 
you know, life is a matter of give and take. And yes, is a, is a matter of, of, of drawing distinctions and making judgments. Okay, for me personally, again, it wasn't so much a, a I wasn't making decisions so much on the basis of, of morals as I was on the basis of my vow of poverty and saying that I didn't think this was such a good thing to be spending the community's money on. In my case, because it just simply wasn't being used. Uh, but you know, the question of should my community be paying for this because of the content that's on it, isn't such a bad question to ask either. And you know, of course, it's a sacrifice. There are good things again on, and I, I can name any one of these streaming services. There are there are good things on there, and I miss not uh, having it. You know, I, I, I would love to be able to have access. I'm not going to name programs in particular, The Mandalorian. I would love to have access to that, to that particular uh, program. But I just, you know, again, I can't just justify having, you know, five, six, seven streaming services so I can get the one or two things on each one that I want to get. So I made a decision to, you know, cut it out. The bottom line is, is it good for your soul or is it bad for your soul? Is it helping you on your road to Christ or not helping you on your road to Christ? You know, these are the decisions that we have to make. I, I, I know that you know we're, we're sort of fed these things that we're here to save the planet or we're here to save the culture or we're here to save the nation. You know... You're not saving the planet. I hate to break it to you. You're not going to save the nation, and you're not uh, going to save the culture. Okay, It's all too big for you as an individual. But what you can do is do the little things that help the environment. The little things in your own little circle that help the environment being less wasteful, being mindful of how much water you're using, okay. being mindful of you know, how much waste, how much garbage is produced, and how much of that can be avoided. Okay. You can help the culture in your house, <laughs> whether you are a married person or a single person. You can help save the culture of your family by making wise decisions and by making wise decisions concerning that which you will watch, that which, which you will permit into your home, and that which, which, which you will subsidize with your money. You may not save the nation. You may not save the culture. But the soul you save may be yours and those of the people around you who you love. And yes, we do it for our children, but we also need to do it for ourselves. You know, if you're a single person, you know, you have a soul too. <laughs> and you should be thinking about saving your own soul as well. And by making a real examination about what is it that's going to help me and what is it that's going to hurt me, what is keeping me from really following Christ fully the way I should, and 
how do I get that out of my life? All right. And what are the things that are sort of indifferent? That, you know, they're not going to make a, a, a real impact one way or the other. Okay. That's how you save your soul. That's how you follow Christ fully. And that's how, in little ways, you save the planet and save the culture and save the nation. Okay. By starting with yourself. And so I'm going to leave that right there. And, uh, yeah, cut it or don't cut it, cancel it, don't cancel it, that's really up to you. Uh, but think long and hard before you decide certainly to keep uh, any of these services and think about what the long-term effects will be both for you and for your family. And uh, Friday uh, coming up is the uh, 50th anniversary of the the death of Jimi Hendrix, and uh, I'm, for those of you who don't know who who Jimi Hendrix was, he was he was one of the real top musicians, uh, rock guitarists of his time in the late '60s. Uh, he uh, began with a uh, a trio aptly named the Jimi Hendrix Experience, and. Uh, then played in other little configurations as well, uh, the band of Gypsies, and you know the last year or so of his of his life, the the trio or the 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 group that he was you know playing in sort of went through a lot of flux, uh, but he revolutionized really the way uh, rock guitar was played. He revolutionized really what could be done on record. You know, he, he came up at a time when, you know, rock music was the dominant pop form. And, you know, popular music meant a three-minute single and or maybe even a, a two-minute and 30-second single. You know, the motto was don't bore us, get to the chorus and, you know, get to that hook, you know, right away. And get as many songs in in an hour as you could. Uh, you know, back then radio stations used to actually speed up the album, the records. I'm sorry, the uh, the records just a little bit so that they could get more in, but also get more advertising in. So that's another little interesting uh, tidbit. You know, Hendrix certainly put out radio friendly sing uh, singles, uh, but at the same time he recorded these, you know, sprawling tracks that kind of meandered and went in different directions and you were never quite sure what direction it was going to go in. He was essentially a, a blues or R&B guitarist, but, you know, came up during the psychedelic era, so highly experimental. And, you know, I, I he gets credited because he played so loud and because he was one of the first guys to really turn that amplifier up he gets uh, credited with sort of being a forerunner of heavy metal, even though he was really not heavy metal himself. He, along with a, with a band called Cream that um, Eric Clapton was a member of, and then later, obviously, Led Zeppelin. But I think what gets overlooked sometimes uh, is the fact that he broke those boundaries of, of the length that a track could be. 
that he he could put out an album and, and I'm thinking of the one case of his, his double album called Electric Ladyland where you know you had some tracks that went on for 10 15 minutes uh and again sometimes you wonder where is this going it's not to every taste I will admit uh and, and, and in some cases just just things he did with the guitar that were absolutely brilliant and and it sold you know he sold massive copies and he sold out uh arenas and you know sold out uh, i don't know if he played stadiums at all but certainly they were doing stadium shows back then but they were definitely doing arena shows already and uh immensely popular and i think it, it helped usher in a period of groups that even though are very different from Jimi hendrix in terms of their style uh, and and influences still uh, move in that direction of exploration of experimentation and of kind of of melding rock music with jazz and classical and really aspiring like I said to be something more than just a popular form of music to really try to make it an art form uh, to be if I can be kind of heady and uh, presumptuous about it and it was a short-lived period. You know, I would say that by, you know, 73 or 74, uh, that kind of movement of uh, experimentation, it kind of ended, and it kind of, we went back into that, you know, three-minute single. Uh, you know, I mean, there were exceptions, but but basically, yeah, the, the business settled back into that, that very familiar routine. And, you know, I, I bring this up today, not just because I'm a fan. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. You know, f you know first off, uh, Jimi Hendrix died in 1970. He was 27 years old. He died in a, a amidst a period when uh, numerous uh, rock artists were passing away, coincidentally at the age of 27. Thus, sometimes you might hear about the 27 Club. And, you know, the, the question throughout the 70s and uh, much of the 80s was, you know, what if these various artists had lived? Okay, and I'm thinking of Jim Morrison of The Doors and uh, Brian Jones of The Rolling Stones and Janis Joplin, who started out with Big Brother and The Holding Company and then uh, went solo, um, along with, and then Jimi Hendrix as well. Like, what if these... Uh, performers had lived what would their what would their careers have looked like and, and what would the direction of pop music been in general i have to be honest i think of all those that i just mentioned uh, Jimi hendrix had the highest ceiling i think he had the highest potential to really bring the music into new and interesting directions uh, because there's an old saying you know people by the friends they make and the company they keep and in some cases by their admirers and he was admired by uh, people like miles davis who was a serious jazz musician you know that was always kind of the rivalry that you know jazz people always look down on rock people because you know rock is a simpler form of music and you know they didn't have a lot of respect for for rock people but but you know miles davis like saw something in hendrix and really was eager to work with him uh, Frank Zappa, who's kind of, you know, he's associated with rock music, but he's someone who really you can't 
pigeonhole into a into a genre. His music again was influenced by jazz and by by classical as well, and you know highly experimental. Uh, but you know, for his part, Zappa was a a, a formally trained musician, uh, a composer, a, an arranger, someone who really understood music theory and 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 you know the not just the basics, but also you know could put together rather complex pieces of music. He was eager to work with Hendrix because Hendrix was not really schooled in music theory. Uh, he couldn't read or write music. And so Hen uh, Zappa definitely, again, saw something in him and said, yeah, no, this guy is it. And I've got to sit down with him and you know, maybe try to transcribe some of his music and, and, and uh, you know, hopefully work with him and record with him as well. And so, yeah, we, we'll never know, will we? We'll never know. And, you know, those are just the two examples that I know of off the top of my head. I'm, I'm sure there were others as well who were eager to work with and to collaborate with the master of the Stratocaster, Jimi Hendrix. But the sad part is we will never know. Uh, Hendrix died in 1970 at the age of 27 from a drug overdose. He was heavily involved in narcotics in uh, what we would call today opioids. And he took too many one night and didn't wake up the next morning. And that's a tragedy. That It's a tragedy personally for anyone, not just for a famous musician. Uh, but certainly it's a, a tragedy for him, and it was a tragedy, obviously, for the world as well, because we... We don't have his music anymore. We have those three years that he recorded, but we don't have that potential that, that could have come later. And I bring this up because the sad thing is that so many high-profile entertainers and actors have died from drug overdoses over the years. It seems like we never learn. And we know that in the last you know, 10 or 15 years, there's been a real opioid crisis here in the United States. And it's complex. I understand that it's complex. In some cases, it's, you know, it's, it's you know, people who try to escape their, their pain by taking drugs, emotional pain I'm talking about. It's more complicated today because you also have people who otherwise would not have gotten themselves involved with opioids, but they were prescribed them as a painkiller, and they ended up getting hooked on them and you know, brought them down in, into a spiral. So it's a complicated thing, and so we're not judgmental. But the message that I have is, you know, we have that great unanswered question, what if? What if Jimi Hendrix had lived? And the thing is, okay, he's a famous musician, but we could say that about anyone who has succumbed to this great scourge. And all those lives that have been lost are lost potentials, no less of a loss than a famous, that of a famous guitarist. Anyone out there 
who is struggling with substance abuse. It doesn't have to be narcotics or opioids. It, it could be alcohol. It could be any substance that, they, that you find yourself addicted to and an addiction that you feel trapped in. Know that there is help out there and that help is worth getting because your life is worth living. And that there are people who love you and there are people who want you around. And you don't know what the future is. Maybe you haven't figured out what it is that God has called you to yet in this life. God has called you to something. Maybe you don't know what it is yet, and I don't know what it is. Don't cut off that possibility. Don't have your friends and your family and those who love you say, what if? Find the help and seek the help that you need. And if you have a loved one who is suffering from substance abuse, do what you can to find them that help. Because the worst question in life is what if. The saddest question in life is what if. And the message I have really for all of you is that God loves all of you very much. And he's given you this gift of life. And we don't know how long we get. That's true. We could be taken out of this world anytime for any reason. But we shouldn't really do things that help speed up the process. <laughs> All right. God has his plan for us, and it's for us to cooperate with it. And not to speed up our exit out of this life any more than it has to be. And so, know of Christ's love for you. Know that your life is worth living, to coin a phrase. And know that today and every day, Christ loves you very much.